Hello and welcome to the Mind Your Leadership Podcast. I'm Karen Tsuk. Today's guest is Michael F. Chine. Michael is the author of the Hype Handbook, published by McGrew-Hill, and head Hype Man at Microframe Media. He's worked with clients ranging from the Medici Group to Magento, and he's spoken to audiences from the northeastern United States to the southeastern coast of China. This conversation is a specially fun one. We talk about passion, marketing, and the hype. So stay with us. Michael, thank you for joining. It's a pleasure to be here with you. I wanted to ask you, how did you start your way and became a speaker, writer, and a hype artist? A big um, question. <laughs> it, it's a big question, yeah. Well, I've, I've always, so I guess we could break each one of those down. Well, I've always wanted to be a writer, believe it or not, for as long as I can remember. I uh, had this sort of, I went to an interesting school. It was a Quaker school when I was a little kid and they had this creative writing teacher who would come in in first grade. And um, people always liked my stories. I remember I wrote one about WrestleMania, like 27, which they're probably up to now. I think they were at two at the time. And people, you know, Mr. T flew in on a spaceship, you know, and all this stuff. Uh-huh. And uh, people really liked that. So I got the bug for writing. And I, I never wanted to be a business person at all. I own a business now, but it's nothing I ever wanted to do. But I Gosh, it's such a long story. I played in a band after college um, uh-huh. and we we're a very theatrical band and I was the songwriter in the band. And um, we would always before a show say that we were going to hype up the show. So we never knew from marketing. You know, that was something business people did. Uh-huh. But um, we did a really good job. There, there were these downtown New York clubs and we would um, we would really sell out the clubs. And, and the way the way that we would do that is we would do things like I don't know, for example, we talked our way onto Showtime at the Apollo, the television show, because we knew we would be booed off. That's something they do to acts that don't fit in. And we knew we could get pressed by doing that. Or I used to dress up like a nun. We had a song called Ash Wednesday, and I would walk around downtown, and then I would do it on stage. So anyway, I was good at that. And then, you know, as these things happened to do, the band didn't work out. So I got a job. You know, and I'm a hard worker, so I ended up doing well there. But after the beginning couple of years, when I was learning a lot, I, I started to feel sort of bad about myself. I was sort of like, why am I in this industry? It was a very brass tax kind of industry. And so after eight years, I left and I had this idea that I was going to write um, business copy because I was a good writer. And I figured that there were companies that needed content. And since I was good, people would hire me. And that was it. And as it turns out, that was a very naive concept because it doesn't really matter how good you are at what you do. Uh-huh. No one knew who I was and I, I couldn't get people emotional and get attention. So I had about a year's worth of savings and I burned through almost all of it. And I was very terrified. And I tried every marketing strategy in the book. I tried A-B testing, SEO. I read all the idiots guidebooks and it did nothing for me. Uh-huh. And then I um, had this revelation at a certain point. Why am I marketing, you know, everyone else is out there trying to figure out which technology to use to get their word out. There there have been people for thousands and thousands of years getting groups of people worked up into a frenzy to buy what they're selling, so to speak. And I was good at that. And I called it hype. 
back then, I said, well, why don't I forget about marketing and start hyping things up? Let's do that as an experiment. So I started really using a mischievous approach and, and it worked really well. I, I built my copywriting practice that turned into a marketing company, which I don't call a marketing company anymore because it's really not marketing. It's hype, uh-huh. uh, which we can talk about the difference. And um, yeah, that was the start of my career. Really interesting. And I really want to delve into the hype concept because I think it's crucial. It's the essence of what makes you unique in your company. So let's delve into it a little bit. As I hear it when you speak, hype is actually to do what you love with passion. And for me, if you say hype, hype is energy, something beyond all the structure, but the passion that you're coming, the intention, the what you, you do what you love and then you succeed. Something like naive like this. What do you say about it? <laughs> I don't think it's naive at all. I actually think you're hitting upon something that most people don't include. I do have a very specific definition of hype, but first I think it's important to say that when most people think of hype, they think of a negative thing. It's a negative word. It's like hyping something up with the idea that, hey, we have this product or this flim flam that isn't really good and we're just going to draw a lot of smoke around it to to bring attention. And that's one definition. However, in the hip hop world, they never think of hype that way. In the hip hop world, you have a hype man and the hype man is very important and the hype man gets the crowd excited and, and gets things out there. So the way I define hype quite simply is any set of activities that gets a large number of people very emotional so that they'll take an action that you want them to take. So why do I use that term instead of marketing? Well, there's this thing called marketing that everyone seems to be doing. There's chief marketing officers, there's internet marketing companies, there's marketing consultants, there's marketing departments. And if you really sit down and talk to a good, a very large percentage of those people, and God bless them, you know, they're out there making a living and doing a good job but they can't even always tell you why they're doing what they're doing. We need a brand, we need a funnel, we need a this, we need a that. And it just seemed that as I observed marketers and even played in that ballpark for a little bit, it was more about how do we jump on whatever the latest technological or tactical bandwagon is. Everyone is doing Twitter, let's come up with a Twitter campaign. Everyone is doing launch style landing page marketing with a countdown clock. Let's do that. And what people forget about in all that is there are these very, very fundamental principles of mass psychology that are embedded in our DNA. We, we're looking for transcendence. We're looking to follow the leader. We're looking for all of these things. And that stuff will never go away. So if you can crack that hype puzzle and become a hype artist and weave that through your DNA and make a commitment to do it ethically, because mm-hmm. there's nothing unethical or ethical about any of this. It just is what it is. Then you can find the right technology. The, the last thing I want to say, though, to what you said is I love that you said that it's about passion because that's the part that's often missed. A lot of times when people listen to the examples I give, I also often draw on some really unconventional characters, everyone from rock managers to cult leaders to propagandists. And people will say, why do you draw on these unsavory people? I I don't want to deal with those kind of people. I don't want to learn from them. And I'll say, well, one, they have a lot to teach and you can reapply it ethically. But even more importantly, a lot of these people, especially the, the positive ones, the David Bowies, the Richard Bransons, the Andy Warhols, 
they add a lot of color to the world. There's a certain amount of energy and art and color that hype has that marketing really doesn't. So I think it's really cool that you hit on that. So it's really interesting, you know, because I hear you speaking and what resonated within me is a few things. First of all, I really connect to the fact that you need to bring value to the world. You need to come from a service point of view. How can I be as a servant to my clients, my community, my employees, and not use this marketing tool in order to increase the bottom line, but don't see the client. So don't abuse it. So I think it's, it's even much more broader than the marketing. It's a state of mind that as entrepreneur, we need to come to the business world as I see it today. And, and once you are connected to this essence, how can you shine? How can you bring it to the world and connect people to what you want to offer them? Because you want, again, it's a little bit naive, but to make the world a better place. You know, as I see it, each and every one is has a present that it came to bring to the world, right? And once you find it and you want to give it because this is what you can bring and make the world a better place. So when you're talking, it's amazing because you change the definition. You say, okay, it's, I don't call it a marketing company. I help people connect to their spark, to their authenticity, to what they bring, and I help them to be the go-to expert in their area. What do you think about it? There's a lot of great stuff in what you said to dig into. So I think the first thing is this piece about making the world a better place. Again, I don't think it's naive at all. In fact, something I tell people is if this thing that I'm calling hype has a bad name, it's because there's a certain type of person who is a bad person, for lack of a better term, who comes to it more naturally. There, there are certain people in the world, these sort of shysters and, and cult leaders and manipulators who don't really care what their effect on other people is. So as a result, they're able to look at people as chess pieces and know what moves them. Does that mean that the strategies they use, the mass psychology they use, the triggers they push are inherently negative? No, I, I don't believe it does. What it means is that they aren't held back by the, I shouldn't do this, I ought to do this, it makes me feel nervous, et cetera, et cetera. My work should speak for itself, right? And I think the point that you're making about making the world a better place, if you have an awesome service or product, something that you really know in your heart has the ability to make things better, right? Not just that you're doing it because it's an opportunity, but you know that if you're able to attract attention, you're going to make people's lives better. And then all of these people around you are out hyping you, are, are getting attention that you're reluctant to get. I would say it's actually your moral imperative to learn how to win that game. Because if everyone, if, if the monopoly on getting attention and getting people emotional is with the hucksters and the shysters, and you're playing it safe and playing it small C conservative, then who, whose ideas, you know, whose products, whose services, that's, that's how cigarettes become yeah. extremely successful because the marketing engine, the hype, really the hype engine of the cigarette companies were just brilliant, right? And it's addictive, sure, but there's a lot of things that are addictive. But you know, the cigarette companies put a cigarette in the hand of every movie star, right? So Maybe they put it in our brain, are to connect to the movie star to the cigarettes, right? To this day, and, and I've never been a smoker and it kills you, to this day, when I think of cigarettes, I think they're cool. Because I think of Albert Camus and, and 
Humphrey Bogart and Keith Richards with a cigarette hanging out of their mouth. And it looks cool, but that's because of, of the hype that the cigarette companies did. So, so I think it's not naive at, at all. And I would say that the other thing is distinguishing it from hype, from marketing. After I was a copywriter, I did start what I thought of as a marketing agency. My concept was, okay, I understand these triggers. I know how to use media to capitalize on them. Why don't I go out to companies and people and do the marketing for them? In other words, they'll be based on these principles, but I'll go out and I'll run the social media. I'll write the articles. I'll set up the interviews. And I had a nice career in that for a while, but I eventually changed tactics. And here's why. When a company comes to you and says, do my marketing, they don't have skin in the game. They're basically saying, make this happen for me and I'm not going to own it. So I would always get into conversations with people where I would come up with a really contrarian point of view for them to build their stuff around. And then they would talk in sales meetings and just do their old thing that they always did, you know, or I would set up, use a really, really clever technique to set up interviews for them. And they would say, well, I'm really busy with my client projects. I don't have time to do it. I would get angry at the client, but then eventually what I said to myself was, you know, it's not their fault. Here's the thing. They've separated the promotion from themselves. And as a result, they've thrown money at the problem. They're saying, you make it happen. And it's not logical. It's just, you know, listen, you're, you're marketing me. You do the marketing, I do the operations. So now what I do is I have a different structure. I won't do that for people. If people say run my social media, I, I just won't do it. There are other companies that do it. What we do is we weave the hype through the DNA of the company. We have a structure where we teach the strategy. We work with them to generate a lot of raw clay of the ideas around a certain hype strategy. We then design small experiments together and give tools, customized tools for them to go out and conduct those experiments. Then they go out and hype themselves up with these small experiments and we dissect them, show what's working, show what's not. And as a result, by the time that they've worked with us for a year or even before that, they are a hype organization. Everything they do is designed to get people emotional. Every employee is designed to get attention. And um, I don't know, it's really great work. It's, it's, it's really fulfilling. That sounds awesome because what you say actually you give them to take ownership. You don't, don't take for them the ownership, but you help them understand how to implement it in their culture and to embed it in their culture. And, and then they can use it and scale their hype or their energy, as I call it, you know. So I think that's much more productive than doing it for them because then they don't know to do it by themselves. And you, as you say, at the end of the day, I think only they can sell it as good as they present it, right? Because it's in their core, in their essence. So I think it's even more efficient for them, no? In this yes, way. and at the same time, it's important to keep in mind what we do is not a course. We're not just teaching people how to do hype and you go do it. You could do that on online videos. We design the experiments with them. We come up with the ideas with them. You know, we're, we're doing what we always did with the exception that if you're learning to play guitar, you can say to somebody, it would be like, I remember there was this movie back to school with Rodney Dangerfield. And it's about a really, you know, Rodney Dangerfield's face this really rich guy whose kid goes to college and he made his money like in a haberdashery. So doesn't not educate. And he decides he's going to go back to school. Mm -hmm. And so he's in the college and the son walks into the room and he's got like a room full of 
physicists and writers and experts doing his papers because he's delegating authority. And that's what it often reminds me of, right? Like it's when you just pass the baton. What we're doing is we're coming up with the ideas for you. We're by your side the whole time. We're designing it with you. But if you don't do the doing, it dissolves. It goes away. That's why so many of these people get disappointed when they hire a social media agency, right? Because so, you yeah. need to be a partner in this process. Otherwise, yeah. it won't uh, succeed. It also reminds me the resonant leadership. It's something deeper, right? When people act from this place, passionate place, the hype place, it resonates beyond the words. I don't know. People feel something different, right? It's like connecting to the being of this company and resonating with it. So it's even another layer, I think, that you're touching because you talk about emotion, emotional connection. And at the end of the day, yes, we buy stuff because of the emotional connection, not only because of the script or the structure or the value, as it says, it brings us. It's all emotional. It's very funny how we think we're so rational. And if you really look at the way people make decisions, not only are we emotional on an individual level, we're so insanely social. We're the most social mammal on earth. So if you get a bunch of people in a group, they behave completely differently, whether that group is online or offline than they do as individuals. So it's funny, when I was a teenager, I actually, I remember I had this memory of when I was a teenager, which um, inspired me to write this book that I wrote, The Hype Hand Book, because I was a teenager and I was watching TV and it was back when you flipped around, right? Like you couldn't, obviously no Netflix or anything. So I was just like flipping around. And on one station, there was a documentary about the Grateful Dead. And in the audience, the, the hippies were flopping their arms and swirling around and like whatever. And then I, another documentary was on the Pentecostals. And there were these buttoned up Christians flopping their arms and moving around and going in circles. And I was like, this message is exactly the same. Uh-huh. I mean, I mean, I'm sorry, this message is ex- like a polar opposite from each other. But the reaction is the same. And they both used lights. They both used music. They both used all of this stuff. So when I was um, formulating the concept of hype and ultimately putting my book proposal to write the book about it, I remember I put front and center that example, because to me, anyone that argues that we're emotional and that we behave in this tribal way uh-huh. only has to look at those two videos or, or countless other examples to realize how ridiculous it is to say that we make individual rational decisions. That's a great example. So let's talk about your book. You are the book, the hype end book, the 12th strategy, indispensable success secrets. People get uh, specific tools to increase their hype in the companies, in the corporate world or... Well, yeah, I'm, I'm really proud of this book because in a way I've come full circle. I, I told you in the beginning that I never wanted to own a business. I love owning a business now, but I'm not one of those people who was you know, running a baseball card sales company out in the backyard. I, I use business as a tool to do the projects that I think will help people and that I'm interested in. So for all these years, you know, I was a copywriter writing copy for other people. I was writing articles, which was a ton of fun. I had this business and now... Because of the business, I got this opportunity to write this book that McGraw-Hill put out. And basically what I did was I formalized what I've always done informally. So I, I spent a ton of time reading the biographies and reading academic papers and interviewing everyone from 
you know, cult leaders, propaganda artists, uh, over-the-top entrepreneurs like Richard Branson, rock managers. And my what I wanted to figure out was, okay, if you're what I'm calling a hype artist, if you're good at getting large numbers of people emotional so that they'll take the action you want them to take, is that just a knack? Is that something that the strategies are all over the map? Because if it is, there's not really a process in that. There's not really a book. You just have to sort of be born with it. Mm -hmm. Or are there in all of these, in, in everything from the Pentecostals to the Grateful Dead and everything in between, are there fundamental strategies that repeat over and over and over? And it turns out it, the latter is just so very much the case. I, I uh, It turns out there, there really are like 12 strategies, 12 patterns that you see over and over again. So yeah, I mean, in the book, what I try to do is, I, I think it's full of a lot of fun stories because these people are very colorful characters, but really it lays out exactly the mechanics of how one of the, each of the 12 strategies work, why it works, makes the case for it, and then teaches you in your own career or life, how do you apply it for yourself? And then at the end, there's a caveat, which I always tell my clients too. It's that none of this works without experimentation. So if you say to yourself, well, this and this hype artist, or this and this marketer, or this and this promoter did X, did Y, and then Z, so I'm going to do it, it's already too late. Mm -hmm. because the biggest thing in hype is the element of standing out is the element of surprise. And if you're following a train that already happened, it's too late. Also, you know, it, it just essentially every market, every audience, every situation, every time period is slightly different. So there are these overarching principles and you can learn from them and you can learn how to implement but the thing that really is key is within each of those principles, create a system to conduct small experiments and find out which ones work quickly and which ones don't. And then just put all kinds of resources into the ones that work. So you're saying actually there's not a formula for companies, the same formula. You need to read the book, throw the strategy and see what works for you and scale what works for you. Because each and every one is different. And also the momentum is also part of the, the hype. I want to say there's not a formula, but there's a framework and a process. And I think if I tell you what some of the strategies are, I'll talk to you about how you might use the experimental process to execute on those. Can you give our listeners one tip of the strategy that they can listen to it and say, okay, I'm going to experiment it and see if it works for me? Sure. I'll give you an example. So the second hype strategy is called build a secret society. So it's funny, a lot of the hype strategies you would think of as more like, hey, look at me getting attention. But this one is really interesting because it turns out that most people that I call hype artists, whether it's Richard Branson, Warren Buffett on one end, or Amy Semple McPherson, who was the first evangelist, celebrity evangelist on the other and Edward Bernays, who was this kind of sinister father of public relations, no matter what hype artist you are, what they always do is they make it seem like all of their success is grassroots. So people just loved my stuff so much that there was this groundswell of attention from the people. But what they typically almost always do beneath the surface is they nurture what I call human pressure points. They build connections below the surface of people who have their own followings, of people who have their own sway, of people who can make things happen. So then they call on those favors and it looks like everything exploded very quickly. So that's the principle, right? So how could you experiment with that? Well, okay, I'll, I'll give you an example from my own life, right? So I said, okay, I really, I'm, I'll, I'll tell you something that I did 
to you to get on your show. That was mm-hmm. a, a function of this hype principle. You might kick me off of here after you tell me this. But I remember, have figured it out already. I understand. Right. Okay. But everything you have to do is ethical. So what I want to say is you don't ever lie to someone. If you tell someone that you're connecting with them for a certain reason, and that reason is that you respect them and want to work with them on something, it's got to be because you respect them and work with them on something, right? Yeah. However, I decided that Every time I'm on a podcast, every time I'm on 10 to 15 podcasts, I sell a lot of books and I get about one client who's worth thousands and thousands of dollars for me. So I need to be on a steady stream of these podcasts, at least for now. And they have to be good podcasts, podcasts that people like, podcasts that have a following. So I said, okay, what do I have that's cheap for me to give up and valuable for other people? That's what these hype artists all do. They look at their assets and they say, what's something that's easy and accessible and cheap for me to give up, but that's valuable to other people. Well, I write a column for psychology today and my column needs good content. And I once wrote an article that was a roundup of top podcasts and it got a lot of views. So psychology today likes those articles. What if I build a list of podcasters who are really good podcasters who speak to my target market, which is coaches and consultants and tell them that I'd like to have them in my article if things connect. And I'll just happen to mention that I've got a book I'm promoting. Now, look what I did though. So I did that to you. I wrote you because you have a good podcast. I did the research. I I knew it was a good podcast. It's going to help my article. But I also know that if I'm on your podcast, you're not going to feel bad about that. In fact, we'll probably become friends and we can call on each other for favors in the future because we've helped each other, right? Mm -hmm. To meet for coffee when I would be in New York. (laughs) Right, exactly. So it was an experiment. I didn't send it out to 100 people. I wrote this email and it could have totally failed. I sent it to 10 people and I didn't know if it would work. And then the email basically said, you know, hey, I'm writing this article on the top, whatever, the top 25 podcasts in this and this space. I'd love to see it. You're on my short list. I'd love to see if you could be a good fit for it. By the way, I have this book. It did really well. I got like seven people of the first 10 to say yes. So I did it to 100 and it's made me thousands and thousands of dollars. So the, the lesson there is, A, the strategy is the strategy. Reciprocity is important. Being on, having people who have a following to spread the word for you instead of doing it yourself is valuable. But I've tried a million approaches for this that completely failed. I did a, um, a big dinner that I got someone to sponsor for all the top literary agents in this city, figuring that if I intermingled with those people, any book I wanted to publish would get published. None of those people said yes to my, because that wasn't a successful experiment. Principle, but I learned something. Umbrella strategy, and then there's a million ways that you can make it. it. Yeah. But it's interesting, what did you learn from this dinner? Because it sounds like a great idea. Having dinner with the literary agents, why not? I learned a lot. For one, I learned that you're probably going to garner more favor with the person who sponsors the dinner than for the people in the audience. So I got an accounting firm to sponsor the dinner and they're still an important connection for me. And the literary agents are. I also learned that there's a difference between building your network and thinking that you understand people's motivations. Let me explain. Literary agents, I now know all those people and they're good people to know, but just because they respect me as a business person, when I sent them the proposal, if it didn't fit their roster, it didn't fit their roster. It had nothing to do. They weren't like, oh, yeah. you know, I uh, was at this guy. nice person. But- I was really impressed by him and he has all these connections. No, I mean, they read the proposal and 
the other thing was I cold sent my proposal to a bunch of people and just as many people read it. So I just learned in the publishing world that there's no correlation between how well you know these people and whether they're going to accept your book or not. It, it was a, a, they're just lessons, right? And uh, But I really liked it, you know, it's amazing because you said, okay, this is a strategy and you have a lot of ways to accomplish it. So that's great. And for this, you need to be mindful and open-minded and curious and figure right. out different ways and try and sometimes succeed, sometimes fail and continue on. And I really like it because you did a great thing. You leveraged your assets and you looked for a win-win situation. So, okay, I would write an article that will promote the podcaster and I will also be interviewed. So it's a win-win. And I like that paradigm. It's a new paradigm, actually. And that's what's interesting. The, the fact that you're calling it a win-win is really the opposite of what most people think of when they think of hype, right? So P.T. Barnum, who honestly was a con artist, I mean, he, he would lie to people. He had this American musician, a museum where he, what was his thing? He had, um, it was very offensive. I mean, it was supposed to be George Washington's wet nurse. It was his, and he basically bought a slave who was an old lady and said she was 120 years old, right? So he was a con artist. However, some of the things he, and not only was he a con artist, there's a million other moral problems with that. But at the same time, he did other things that weren't so horrendous. I mean, he had these fake, but still entertaining sort of exhibitions. And over time, everyone knew that he was full of humbug, as they called it back then. And he even admitted that he was full of humbug. Mm -hmm. But when people would interview him about it, he would say, you know, people are paying for the experience. People like the humbug. They work all week long. They're enjoying this. So I'm not saying to lie. I'm not saying to break moral codes. But what I am saying is that there's a difference between just conning somebody and screwing them over, quote unquote. And creating and weaving sort of an energy and, you know, abusing and, and abusing people. Yeah, exactly. There's a difference between abusing people and hyping things up. And the line is very fine. And some people combine the line and go back and forth across the line. And it can be a very, very dangerous line. But the same strategies that can be used to just rip people off can also be used to entertain, to improve people's lives, to attract attention around good stuff. And we like our we like our stuff cut and dry, especially in this era. We want to believe that someone like a P.T. Barnum who did that horrible thing with the slave was abysmal and disgusting in everything he did. But but I just choose I, I believe the world's more complex. So you say at the end of the day, you know, we need to be ethical individuals and use these tools in the favor of ourselves and our communities and the people around us. Michael, I'm really enjoying our conversation. However, we need to wrap up. There's something I didn't ask you that you want me to uh, ask. No, I, I think your questions were great. I really appreciate it. Great. So, Michael, if people want to follow you, buy your book, use your services, how can they reach you? So one of the things I've learned in all of this uh, hype that I've done for other people and for myself is that when you give people too many messages, it confuses them. So I could tell you five places to find me and I used to do that and I'm not going to do that. So what I would, I would tell people to go to Amazon or, or any of your favorite online shops and type in the hype handbook by Michael F. Shine, S-C-H-E-I-N, and check out the book. And if after reading that, 
you learn everything you need to know. That's awesome. And that makes me very happy as a writer. And if after that, uh, you uh, you want to work with me further, the name of my company's in there, Microfame Media, you'll just look it up, you know where to find me. But just, you know, go buy the book and make a write, a lifelong writer happy. Great, Michael. So thank you very much for your wisdom and being here with, with us. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you for your fantastic questions. It was a great conversation. This was Michael F. Shine. Hope you enjoyed our conversation. You're invited to follow us on social media and subscribe to our podcast in order to know when we upload a new one. Till next time, take care and bye-bye.